Welcome to our Panini. This is Saratoga Best. We are doing part two, probably the second and final part of Kuntras Purim Katan. What we've been talking about until now is, did, did we do the Purim story by ourselves? Did we do it all by ourselves? Was, you know, how did that all happen? And listen to part one, please. And now we're going on to the question of, how do you know there's a God? You ever do that? You ever on this time and uh, people ask you, well, you know, or they say, I don't believe in God and how do you know there's a God, etc. So how do you know there's a God? How do you know Hashem exists? So we're in, we're in, um, hey. It's a really important question because, you know, people often say, well, you know, and they get a little huffy. But how do you? You know, it's a good question. So what do you want to say? Well, we all started Harsinai, yeah. But here's a really interesting twofold explanation. How do you know that Hashem really exists? So, distracting. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Oh, thank you. Okay. So, it's known that we are maminim b'nei maminim. We're believers. The elokus, the munapshuta. We believe. Believe. Now that doesn't mean no. We believe in with a munapshuta that Hashem exists and He controls and He runs the whole world. And we and and. Well, let's read it in Hebrew. The Yesh Lubayazel, Pia Yadua, it's known, um, in Tafresh Ayin Base. The Zeshi is from Aminim Be'alukus Be'muna Pshuzi Ve'in Trishim Ra'azel Zehum Itzad Shnei Why is it that we don't need truth? How do you know Hashem exists? How do you know God exists? How do we have this, this faith? This, you can't say Amunah's faith. This, mm, whatever. I'll just use the word Amunah, simple Amunah, that Hashem exists. And we don't need somebody to come along with you. You don't really need the Torah codes and all that stuff and the computer. It's fun. It's nice. But you don't need it. And there are two reasons why we don't need it. Because our mazel sees Hashem. Our mazel sees the truth. What does that mean? You have two parts of your neshama. There's part of your neshama that's inside your body. You know, your soul and your body are connected. And then the bigger part of your neshama hovers above your body. Imagine, it's like two twin sisters. So one twin sister lives in, you know, one twin sister uh, lives right now in uh, what Ukraine, right? And the other one lives in New York. So they're on the phone. And the one in the Ukraine is saying, oh, my goodness, oh, you know what I just saw? I just saw this, and I just saw that. And so the sister in New York says, this is what's happening in the Ukraine. We ask her, how do you know? She said, I'm on the phone right now with my sister, and she's describing what she's seeing to me, you know, minute by minute. So it's as if I'm seeing it. She's telling me, and I'm telling you. So the, imagine that. Our neshama is kind of like twin sisters. The neshama above sees Hashem, sees Elokos. It's a vision that is above something intellectual. And, and it has an effect on the part of the neshama, the soul that's in the body. So in other words, the neshama outside of the body is saying, 
I'm standing right in front of Hashem, so to speak. I see Hashem openly and clearly. I, the, the part of the neshama outside of the body, I guess, doesn't have to believe, it sees. With a vision that's above something intellectual, it sees. It's telling the part of your neshama that's in your body what it's seeing, and therefore, when that translates into the part of your neshama in your body, it's not truly seeing, it's getting the message from your sister up there, your twin sister, out of your body. And so what, what you have then is called emuna, I believe, or whatever, however you want to translate emuna. So emuna isn't, it's as if you're seeing, because you're seeing through your twin sister's eyes, so to speak, your twin soul's eyes. She's telling you, and so you end up having constant emuna because of that. Is that like a part of the Chelek Elokah? So I'm not sure. Is that part of Chelek Elokah? Um, good question. I don't know. But so we do, do we see, so those two parts. Now, there's another reason. So basically, how do you know that Hashem exists? Because part of you sees Him and tells the part of you that doesn't see Him. So the part of you that doesn't see Him knows with the Munapshuta because it's a perfect, flawless system. Now, here's something even more amazing. The source of Amuna comes from the essence of your Neshama, which is higher. There's something even higher than that. Remember, one part sees and it tells the other part, so the other part has Amuna. But what about the essence of your Neshama? That's even higher than what your mazel sees. It's even higher than this vis- visibility that we're talking about. Because your neshama is in a bond, an essential bond with Hashem. So, if my foot is one with my foot, my foot doesn't have to believe in my foot, because my foot is part of my foot. Right? So if my, if my finger is one with my finger, it doesn't have to have imunakshuta about my finger, because it's right there with it. So, your neshama is one in an essential bond with Hashem. So it's not even seeing Hashem, it's just, you're right there. You're in it. You're, I don't want to say you are Hashem, but so to speak, however you can say it in English, the essence of your neshama is connected with a essential connection with Hashem himself. It's probably at that point, you can't separate them. That would explain why. So that doesn't depend on a reason. You don't need a reason. It's just this is what you are. You're one with the essence of Hashem. So how could you not, what, you're going to deny something that is the very truth. You're one with this essence. So how could you not believe it? Belief is already 50 steps lower than that. You're just there with it. So that doesn't depend on any reason. It doesn't even depend on being able to see with this visibility that's above Seichel. So, again, we're saying there are two reasons why you know that Hashem exists. One is the part of your neshama up there is telling you because it sees and, trans- and, and keeps telling you. And the other one is in this essential bond where you and Hashem are one piece, what's the question? You couldn't have a question because you're one piece with Hashem. So, there are these differences between these two explanations. The amuna of the neshama that's Im- invested in the body that you come from being able to see Hashem 
it's makistic. It's kind of hovering above. Because remember, who's really seeing Hashem? The part of your neshama hovering above. So that gives you a, an amuna that kind of hovers above. So because this part of the neshama is higher than can be in the body, if it could be in the body, it would. If it's not, if it's not in the body, it's because it can't. Why it can't? It, it's too high to fit into the body. I mean, this is a ridiculous example, but whoever, did you ever try to fit an elephant into, into a lachaim cup? It's just not going to work. And not only that, a plastic Lachaim cup, right? It's just not going to work. So you can't fit that part of your neshama that's up there into your body. It's just not going to work. So the, the, it's just in a very external kind of a way, a surrounding way. It's like, oh, wow, yeah, oh, there's the neshama. Oh, there's my, your amuna is a little bit outside of yourself. The, the amuna that comes from that. So how do you bring this amuna into a pneumistic way? My twin sister told me, there is God, I see him every single second, I'm telling you. How do I internalize this kind of amuna? Because it's my twin sister's amuna. She sees. I believe her. So it's kind of like the visibility belongs to her, not to me. How do I make this internalized? It's always like, you know, I'm I'm kind of, sponging off my twin sister's Amuna, kind of. So how do I make it internalized so it's really mine? All my life, I'm always, you know, working off my twin sister's Amuna, the part of my neshama above the body. It's never really mine. How do I make it mine? Well, you gili his kashas atzmis etzim neshama. If I reveal the connection that I have that comes from the essence of my neshama, that Amuna becomes mine. Because the etim of the neshama is the etim of the neshama, the essence of the neshama that's in the body. And therefore, the amuna of the neshama that's in the body, um, this is, wait, this is a very, I'm going to read this in Hebrew. Ki etim neshama, hi ha etim shala neshama hamubeshes beguf. The essence of the neshama is the essence of the neshama that's in the guf, too. Essence is essence. The part of your neshama in your body also has an essence. Everything has an essence. And therefore, the amuna of the neshama, as it's in your body, comes from the essence of the neshama. That comes from the essence of the neshama. It is internalized. So, it requires revealing both. You know, I know that God exists because my twin sister sees, my twin neshama sees, and also I'm one with Him. Now, how do you get to that point? That obviously is not so simple. Otherwise, everybody would, and we would never struggle. I mean, what is our main challenge in regular old North American life? We we stress. We do we do get stressed. I get stressed. Uh, proudly so. Unproudly so. How do we get stressed when we think that it's not going to work out? Well, what kind of an idiot would think that things aren't going to work out? I'm talking to myself. How is it possible to become stressed out? I don't know, but I, I'm very good at it. Being stressed out means... I, I sort of forgot for a minute that Hashem runs the world. Well, how could I forget that Hashem runs the world? It's the only truth that's around. That's because we struggle with that. We, when I will have made my immunopneumistic internalized, I will never struggle with that again. I might go to higher and higher levels, 
but I will never struggle with it. The struggle with internalizing my amuna, how do I see it? Through stress. Stress, if you are stressed out ever, if I'm, let's not talk about you, if I am ever stressed out, I spent the whole day stressed out today, I must say, after I learned this yesterday. Great. <laughs> I spent the whole day stressed out. Obviously, circumstances were, you know, exploding one after another. But that was an indication that my amuna is not internalized enough. That's how you know. You know, um, how do you know if you need to take an umbrella? Well, oh, when I, when I grew up, um, when I was a child, I remember there was a, a little hole, an indentation in the, in the street right in front of our house. So my mother always told us to just look at the puddle and see if we saw drip, drip, drip in the puddle, and then we would know if it was raining. That was our indication, right? So how would I know if my amuna is internalized or not? If I'm stressing out, then I know I've got work to do. I haven't internalized, internalized it completely. Okay, so how do I do it? I need internalized amuna. This is getting too much for the immune system. I, I, I don't, I, I'm, I, I'm done. Like the stress thing has been there, done that too many times. I don't want to do it anymore. So now the Rebbe's saying, remember, we want to bring this to a very basic level. The 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 mime was saying the union of Kasus Lamar crush for the luminary. Oh yeah, I know what crush for the luminary means. Yeah, I get stressed. It comes as as a an um It's there connected to the idea of Raya Mehemna. Maybe he can help me de stress. The faithful shepherd, Maishrabainu. Maybe he can help me not stress. What is he here for, among all other things, to nurture the amuna in me so that it becomes internalized? No more stress, folks. Who's going to help me have no more stress? You mean he's just going to pay all my bills, finish with the mortgage, make sure that nobody tells me difficult news? No, not at all. No, no, no. He's probably going to give me a bigger mortgage. You see that, right? Um, I mean, you know, all those years, Shnasa Binyan, when the Rebbe told everybody, buy houses, buy houses. They didn't have any money. That would be stressful. Right? That would be, and the Rebbe, just buy houses. That would be stressful. There are many, many, many times where you see that the Rebbe tells Shluchim or tells people to do things that are kind of beyond their comfort zone. And, And that could be stressful. So he's obviously not taking away the stressful experiences, but he's taking, but he's bringing us to a level where the penny drops. We realize, don't worry, Hashem is running the whole thing. It's all working out perfectly. So this is Meisher Bain who does that. How does he do it in us? He reveals the etam and neshama, the essence of my neshama that's higher even than what I can see with my spiritual eye. He reveals in me the ma'ar shalamayim ar. He reveals in me the luminary that's higher than the light. So when it says kasis lamar, crushed for the luminary, we understand the Maimer is telling us, the Rebbe Ayas is telling us in the Maimer, in order to reach the level of luminary, that place in myself, it's by being crushed. Oh, that, you see, that's the tricky thing. When you're crushed, you tend to get stressed. Wrong reaction. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Hmm. All this time, we think that when we're being crushed, 
normal people would get stressed, and normal people do get stressed. That is not Hashem's intention. He's, he's not saying cautiousless stress. Um, I'm crushing you so you'll be more stressed out because I think your immune systems are just working too well. And, like, I just want to, you know, give the medical system a little more business. Obviously not. Hashem is saying, when you are crushed, God forbid, from the fact that you're in Gullus, it brings you to the level of luminary. Now, of course, we're looking for the, we want to hear in the rest of the mimer that crush doesn't mean that we have to be, have bad circumstances. Maybe we could crush ourselves by struggling with a concept in Tyra that we really, really have to, you know, or, or whatever it is, you know, uh, I don't have to eat 25 chocolate chip cookies, etc., etc. It doesn't have to be, God forbid, a bad crushing. But there's something about being squeezed like an olive, or squeezing ourselves like an olive, or we'll see. Being in Gullus, you get squeezed like an olive just because it's not a natural habitat for a Jew. That already brings us to the luminary. Because the Icar revelation of the essence of the neshama, etzim and neshama, the mar, comes through Mesiris Nefesh. When we're crushed, and we crush ourselves. Mesiris Nefesh means, in a sense, we crush ourselves. We go out of our comfort zone, and we're crushing ourselves. And that happens in the time of Gullus, and that reveals the essence of the Neshama, that reveals the luminary. When people throughout the generations, and the simplest people, were challenged, you know, bow down to the Salem or else, or bow down to, you know, etc., you know, give up your Yiddishkeit and deny Hashem, God forbid, bow down to this idol, and they said, Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem and they gave their lives al Kiddush Hashem, they were going out of their comfort zone. That's almost trite to say that. But it's not like they thought, oh, that would be so... It wasn't. You know, the very first blood libel in France in the 1100s, when everybody everybody was brought into, I forget where, the city hall, the show, I can't remember, and they were all offered the choice of uh, converting to Christianity. And anybody who said they would convert to Christianity was allowed out. And, and the evil Galah who hatched this plan was going berserk because no one agreed to save their lives by converting. And it, it's like he, could, he couldn't bear it. He just couldn't bear it. In fact, that's one of the reasons they, they never liked us because we just wouldn't sell our souls and they couldn't stand people who wouldn't, who wouldn't sell their souls. But this all comes, this self-crushing of, I'm going to go out of my comfort zone for something higher. Um, that comes out. It's interesting because I was thinking this morning, I have a friend who's um, Jewish, uh, let's just say quite secular, you know, uh, Eastern, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And her philosophy is nothing is more important in life than feeling good. Well, well, that's not our philosophy. I mean, we don't want to walk around feeling miserable, but that's not our guiding principle. We would say nothing is more important in life than being one with the truth of Hashem, which is the truth of yourself. And even if it means not feeling good, First of all, I don't believe her because if push comes to shove, she would also say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem, and give her life all Kiddush Hashem. She just doesn't know about it. And 
it's, I don't think I should tell her because it will affect our friendship. <laughs> but the fact is, if you are a Jew, you do not believe that nothing is more important than feeling good. You believe that nothing is more important, or you believe somehow in the essence of your soul, nothing is more important than remaining true to your oneness with Hashem. Even if it means not feeling good for a little bit of time. So, let's look at Vav. If the amuna of a Jew is in a way that he's willing to have Messiris Nefesh, it's amuna that comes from the Esam and the Shama. The amuna that comes from this, that w- but then it's a different amuna when you see Hashem. Hagamshi Betaikov, it's a very strong amuna. When you see Hashem, it's a lower type of amuna. It's very strong. We know that the truth that comes from seeing something is a very great truth. And yet, since you're a Muna, if you have an Amuna, why, why do you believe in Hashem? Because I see him. Oh, that's still based on a reason. The other one isn't based on a reason. In other words, the fellow who's at Yom Kippur and he's driving down the street in his, in his convertible car and playing loud music and eating, eating his cheeseburger and all of that other stuff and he, and something happens and he's offered the opportunity to whatever, something that will compromise his connection with Hashem. And he does not believe whatsoever in his connection with Hashem. He makes fun of it. That's why he's driving past the shoal in his car, you know, with his cheeseburger and all that other stuff on Yom Kippur. He makes fun of it. And yet there will come a moment, usually in his life, or if not his, you know, somebody's life in, in, in his lineage, that he will not understand why he is willing to give his life al-Kiddush Hashem. He doesn't know that he's willing to. That, this, that willingness to give his life al-Kiddush Hashem and that unwillingness to disconnect from Hashem that he doesn't know that he has does not come from the level at which he sees Hashem. That's too low. It comes from the level at which he doesn't even, he doesn't understand why he has this level. It's not dependent on a reason. Um, because if you have a reason, you don't have to be Mycenaethish. Because you might have another reason. In other words, that was the story of Purim. They had one year. The whole Jewish people, every single man, man, woman, and child, had one year to rethink, should we become Ivrim, more secular Jews, and save our lives? And we have a year to think about it. Or should we re- be, remain Yehudim and... Our lives are going to be, our lives are forfeit at the end of the year because they have, God forbid, Hayalotia massacre planned on the Jewish people. Um, no, if, they, if their amunah was based on a reason, they would have said the following. We have children, we have grandchildren, we have their lineage, we have, we have things to do. Just compromise a little bit and then you'll be able to do much more later on. That's amunah based on a reason. Their amunah wasn't based on a reason. It didn't make sense. It actually would have made more sense. Normal would have been for a lot of the people among the Jewish people that year of Purim to say, okay, let's just bow a little bit and save our lives because we can accomplish so much more if we stay alive. Who needs, us, who needs, who needs the Jewish people to be eradicated? Nobody. So it makes more sense to do a little compromise and stay alive. That is a reasonable amun in Hashem. We have one of those. We do have a reasonable amun in Hashem. We see him, so we believe. 
But we have an unreasonable emuna in Hashem too. Doesn't make any sense. It's counterintuitive. That's the one that came out that year of Purim. And no one would give in. Everybody knew the end of the story would be, that's it, it's over. Everybody will be massacred, God forbid. And no one would change their mind. Because they had a beyond reasonable emuna in Hashem. It's because, because at that level, your immuna in Hashem is your very essence. You can't, this is who you are. You can't become something else. It is, it is your very being, your very essence. So according to this now, we understand. The Mimer is saying, if Maishar Bainu is the Raya Mehemna, and he feeds us with our immuna, he brings it to the surface. We have it anyway, but he brings it to the surface. That means, that applies to the, the Raya Mehemna, the leader of every single generation. Every Maishar Benu of every generation strengthens the Amuna of the Jewish people so that we can actually stand with Mithras Nefesh in doing mitzvahs. And so if Maishar Benu feeds the Amuna, as we say in several places, um, how does he do it? How does Maishar Benu feed us, bring this Amuna that we have out to the surface, make it user-friendly? Because he's Mashpia Das in Hashem. Such a deep knowledge of Hashem that it simply pulls our Amuna right to the surface. It makes our, he gives us such an, a deep, true understanding of Hashem that it makes our Amuna um, totally internalized. And so the fact that the leaders of every generation strengthen our amuna, they strengthen it so that we should be able to have Mithiris Nefesh. Mithiris Nefesh doesn't have to mean God forbid dying all Kiddush Hashem, living Kiddush Hashem. Remember that this Maimur, Atat Tetzavah, was said in 1981. Tashin Mem Aleph. So that's already tough. The one before was said in 1927, tough Zion, when people had to be ready to die al Kiddush Hashem. In 1981, we didn't have to be ready to die al Kiddush Hashem, but rather live al Kiddush Hashem. So now we can say that the Iker Inyan of Raya Mehemda is this that The point is, that our Muna should not just be something that's very showy, very visible, because you see God, but the point of the, the, the Maishra being of the generation is not satisfied in giving us the lower level of Muna. He wants us to have the, 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 the top of the top of the top. The Muna that comes from the essence of your Nishama. The one that doesn't make sense to you, but you probably don't know you have. In most of the Jewish people that Maishar Benu pulls the Amuna to the surface in, it's an Amuna that they don't know they have. He's activating in them something that they don't know that they have. And they don't know that they want. And he activates it anyway. Activates it anyway. That's why you can never count on what's going to happen. If you look at a scene and you say, well, who are we going to count on? There's nobody who's going to help me with this. That's because as Jewish people, 
most of us really have no idea who we are, what we feel, or what we believe. Most of it is undercover, and it's going to come out at a particular moment, and we'll be surprised at ourselves. So the fact that Maishar Benu pulls the Amunah B'Pneemius with Dasana Saga is a result of this, that he he nourishes the Amunah, he nurtures it, the one that comes from Etzman Shama. And as we say, And as we said, making this Amuna in Das, you really know Hashem, which means you really know you and you really know your connection that comes through the revelation of the Etzman Shama. So let's talk about the generations that required Messias Nefesh. Roman times, Greek times. To keep Judaism, they needed actual Messias Nefesh. How'd they get it? The Maishar Benu of their generation brought it out in them, fostered it in them, brought it to the surface, or deepened it. That was what happened at the story of the time of Purim. Mordechai, the Maishar Benu of that generation, strengthened that amuna so that they were able to be in touch with it and use it and do superhuman things. So, in later generations after Maishar Benu, this amuna was even more visible. Because in the time of Maishar Benu, what did you have to do? You know, you had to get through the midbar and get into their control and believe that we're going to go, etc., etc. But, we didn't have, when we were with the actual Maishar Benu, bow down to the idol or realm. It wasn't one of the things that we were, that we had to deal with. It wasn't one of our, our, our struggles. It was a struggle throughout history. Romans, Greeks, Persians. But nobody said when we were dry, when we were in the desert, bow down to the idol. This wasn't. So that means that the later Maishar Benu, so to speak, probably had a harder job. And, and and brought out the Amuna in us in a bigger way than even when we were originally receiving the Torah. So how do you see that the Nasi Adar, the Maishra of the generation, is bringing Amuna in you when you see Masiris Nefesh? Just like we said before, when you see that you're stressed out, now you know. Ding, ding, ding. Ah, I'm stressed. Oh, I get it. Ah, I guess my Yamuna isn't internalized enough. All right. Okay. And here's another little marker. Red flag or green flag, whatever. Um, the main revelation that the, your Esam and Neshama actually has been activated is when you do Mysterious Nefesh. And the fact is, you see lots and lots of teeny tiny examples in this in this generation of people doing small acts of mysterious nefesh that um, are just are they're not uh, you know extremely visible but but people are having mysterious nefesh. I'm trying to think of an example. Okay, so now let's maybe pull this together with this piece. So. So Purim is the template for that moment in history when we had the most amazing Amuna and Masiris Nefesh in all of history. At the time of the Gezer of Haman. 
Well, guess what? Since we have a lot of hummings hanging out now in the world, we get another chance to do it again. Yay! Milchemes Hashem is the final war against Haman and Amalek. So we are, you know, we get chances to do it. We were seeing some examples of Nasir Snafish. We were just watching the, uh, um, the Zoom call with Shluchais in, uh, in, where, in, uh, in Russia. Not in Russia, in, come on, where is, where is being attacked? Um, Ukraine. Ukraine. And they're doing amazing things. They're just, you know, feeding hundreds of people and et cetera, et cetera, and bringing them stuff that... Yeah, they're right. They just feel like... Right. Right. That's true. Right. Right. She's saying, Aliza's saying they have nobody to help. They have no army, no this, no that. They just... They're just on their own, so to speak. They have Hashem helping them, and yeah, and they're doing it. So it's an incredible level of Nasiris Nefesh. So the template from this for this was Purim, which we understand now why this is happening, you know, over there, together with what's really being accomplished and what's being wiped out that needs to be wiped out in the Ukraine. Obviously, there's a whole other picture behind the picture that the news tells you. But... Purim was the template for the ultimate Nasiris Nefesh. Because the Nasiris Nefesh of Hanukkah with the Greeks was a group, Matisyahu and his sons. And, but this Nasiris Nefesh against Haman was every single Jew for an entire year. So it's explained in the Rebbe Reyes' Mimer, um, Mordechai in his generation was like Maish Rabbeinu in his generation. Even though um, the the Ispashtus of Maisha is in every generation, but it says in the Medrash that Mordechai Dafka was the most like, he was equal to Maisha Rabbeinu. So in a way, he was like, up until that time, the most like Maisha Rabbeinu, Renzayim, of, of Sifzayim. And we can say, the, the, how do you know? Because the Milas of Mordechai, is that he was the Raya Mehemna, obviously. He was obviously the Jewish leader of all the Jewish people. That's one factor. And the Dukuma of Maisha as a Raya Mehemna, faithful shepherd, what did he do? He brought Das, a deep understanding of Hashem, to every single Jew. We understand from this that the generation of Maisha Benu was a generation of Das, Zordea. And he told everyone that the only way we can embrace this is if you learn Torah. Right. Right. So Mordechai was saying it's all about knowing Hashem through Torah and Mitzvahs. Maisha, with Maisha Benu, there was the revelation. How did you know that Maisha Benu was the Raya Mehemda, the faithful shepherd? He, he brought Das, deep knowledge of Hashem, to every single Jew. What did Mordechai do? So what is the main accomplishment that we know about Maishra Benu? He gave us Das. What is the main accomplishment of Mordechai as we know him? He gave us the Kayach of Nasiris Nefesh. See the difference? Maishra Benu gave us mostly Das. Mordechai gave us mostly the Kayach of Nasiris Nefesh. To all the people. Maishra gave to all the people in the generation. So did Mordechai. They just gave different things. One is an extension of the other. If you have enough enough das of Hashem 
and really understanding and knowing Hashem, it will bring you to Mesiris Nefesh. Because once you know who Hashem is, you it would be unbearable to disconnect from Hashem. And that that lack of ability to disconnect Hashem from Hashem is called Mesiris Nefesh. And so it says in the Mimer that... Um, as it says in the Medrash that Mordechai in his generation is like Mesha in his generation. Um, the Rebbe is saying, the one who wrote this Mimer, the Rebbe Rayat, when he's saying this, he's passing on himself. What the Rebbe is saying is that the Rebbe Rayat was equal to Mesha Rabbeinu in his generation. What did the Rebbe Rayat do? What is he known for? giving Jews the Kayach of Mesiris Nefesh. Remember that he was Rebbe from 1920 to 1950 in three different situations. Ten years in Russia, the most difficult. Ten years in Poland, where it was freer, you didn't have the KGB, but it was the, it was a different Avaida with other Yidden, and ten years in America. Each of those ten years were quite difficult. Had to... Um, Limitations, old, old, entrenched limitations had to be broken through each time in each of those 10 years. So, and in the 20s, we know that the Rebbe Ayats called together nine years and nine Hasidim and said, we will form a minion. I will, you're nine, I will be the 10th. We will spread Yiddishkeit throughout Russia to the last drop of blood. They kill us, they kill us. We will do it to the last drop of blood. And therefore he's showing us, we know that he was the Raya Mahemna, the faithful shepherd in an obvious way, in a revealed way of all the people of his generation. So, um, okay, we'll do one, let's see, one second. So we'll end here and we'll continue tomorrow. The fact is that there's an incredible process going on by Meisher Bainu of the generation. He's making us, so to speak, relative to who we're used to being larger than life, relative to our regular selves, relative to how we see ourselves and what potential we think we have. He's, he's making us, so to speak. Lar- lar- right, taking away all fear, etc., larger than our regular lives, <laughs> bringing our Muna to the surface and making it Panimistic. Yerotan, with Adam Muna all the struggle should be gone. We should find ourselves in the Gula Mitis Amen.